Amazing grace, everyone. How sweet the sound it is. The Lord has poured out his grace on myself and my young assistant, Michael, who's preaching uh, at another fellowship here in Dubai today. But uh, God is so gracious in allowing us to do ministry in India and now to to be with you and to uh, be amazed at uh, this very special fellowship this special vision for ministry of the gospel uh, that you have by his grace and also the grace to meet some of you uh, from one Pastor Dave to another Pastor Dave uh, to see and experience the grace in his family, in the church family. And so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be with you. Uh, Greetings from the congregation in New York City. Uh, And we will be uh, more aware how to pray with you and rejoice with you uh, in the wonderful grace of God. I could think of no more wonderful song to introduce a message from John chapter 10 than Amazing Grace. And the grace of God is reflected in the beauty of the world that he's given to us. In so many ways, it's such a beautiful world. Love and friendship and family and purpose and meaning. But in many ways also, we need that amazing grace because uh, we live in a Good Friday world. We live in a world that is um, hurt deeply and fractured and broken and lonely and suffering and experiencing violence and abuse, hopelessness. And we we can lose in this world, even as believers, Everyone and everything that we value, we can lose in this world. Lose our loved ones. Lose our parents, our children. The greatest horror and sorrow that any family could have is the loss of their children. We can lose our health. We can lose our hope. We can lose our job, our careers. We can lose our money can lose our health, our physical health, mental health. But the greatest gift that we have is God's love, God's forgiveness. Can we in this world even lose God's love? Can we lose his presence, his forgiveness? We sang a beautiful song, Amazing Grace, and I love this hymn. I think we all do. You know, it strikes me, even the culture, even the world loves the song Amazing Grace, and it's ironic to me because we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Normally, our most favorite songs are not the ones that reveal our wretchedness. Yes, I think we love that song Because we all know and love grace and we need grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. In that amazing song, can I lose God's love? Can I be lost and then found and then lost again? Can I be blind and then see and then be blind again. And you know, in God's church among his people, 
Uh, there are some wonderful, loving believers in Christ who actually believe that we can lose that love and we can lose that forgiveness. But you know, the only opinion that really counts when you ask the question, can we lose that love, it's not my opinion, it's not Pastor Dave Epstein's opinion or any other leader or person. Jesus' opinion is the only one that matters. Thank God. And I believe that our Lord Jesus Christ tells us, assures us, that we can never as God's people ever, ever lose His love, His presence, His forgiveness. Ever. And Jesus has some wonderful reasons for that in John chapter 10. And the very first awesome reason from Jesus Himself he tells us that he did not die in vain. The reason that God's love wins, according to Jesus, is because he did not die in vain. Jesus tells us he did not die for nothing. Let me read from John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says he did not die in vain. He died with a purpose. He died for his people who would believe in him. He died for the sheep. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. What an amazing statement. How awesome is that truth? The death of Jesus accomplished atonement and reconciliation, and redemption, and salvation, it accomplished the purpose for which he died. If you believe that Christians can lose this love, this salvation, then you believe that it's possible, at least theoretically, that no one will be saved, that all will be lost, and that Jesus did die in vain, that he died for nothing, but the Bible declares that Jesus' death was not in vain. It was effective in bringing salvation to his people. We'll come back to John 10, but back in John chapter 6, the Lord is confronting a number of individuals and religious leaders who are opposed to him. And he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as, I, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Never. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him, I will raise her up at the very last day. 
the words of Jesus himself. And then verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he or she will live forever. And this bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. Is that amazing or is that amazing? That God's love is forever for his people because Jesus did not die for nothing. Back to John chapter 10. His death is so powerful for his people because his death was a faithful death. Look at chapter 10 verse 12. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The the false shepherd, the hired hand, is not faithful. The man runs away because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But in contrast, the faithful shepherd I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. His death is faithful, trustworthy. His death is also selfless. Look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the the sheep. Selflessly. My life for the life of the sheep. It's also inclusive. And I love this great truth that his death is inclusive when we see the beauty of the diversity of Dubai and the beauty of the diversity of New York City. That God loves all people. I like to say that God has a very eclectic taste in people. What a God we serve. An inclusive death. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. He's speaking to those who are Jewish. He's saying, I have other sheep. The non-Jewish sheep. The Gentile sheep. God loves us all. He loves the Arabs. He loves the Jews. He loves the Americans. He loves those in Dubai and the Emirates. Amen. He loves us all. What an awesome gospel. Reconciliation. Two of the core values at Calvary are diversity and reconciliation as we long to see more people impacted that way. And his death was also voluntary. Look at verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again as he spoke about the one shepherd and one people because he loves us all. Only to take it up again No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. He says, I give my life voluntarily. We say, well, I thought it was some of the Jewish leaders and people who took his life. He says, no one takes my life. I thought it was the Romans and Pilate who took his life. And he says, no one takes my life. I lay it down voluntarily. I thought it was Judas who betrayed him and took his life. No one takes my life. I thought it was Satan who who, uh, indwelt Judas. 
No one takes my life. I thought it was us. Our sins created a need for the cross. Because our sins alienated us from God. I thought it was us who put him to death. Because it was our sin that caused the need for that grace on the cross. No one takes my life. Yet we all had a part in it. God allowed it. God used it. But Jesus gave his life. It was our sin that created the need for the cross. But it wasn't our sin that made him go to the cross. It was his love that made him grow to the cross. Amen? To meet that greatest need to reconcile us to God and to one another. That's why in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet can say, inspired by the Spirit of God, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to bruise him. It was God's will to offer him as a sacrifice on the cross. Another way to say it, reverently but biblically, the Christ killer is God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He took his life. And the son volunteered his life. And that's why we can never lose the love of God. Because he did not die in vain. And yet we know the death of our Lord Jesus Christ continues to cause controversy. Look at verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and he's raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, and I love this. These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What an awesome rhetorical question. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and because Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade, the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so his death continues to cause controversy uh, in our world. Let me say this this morning as a brother in the midst of this fellowship, and I say this reverently. When when my people in New York City hear me say, I'm going to say this reverently, they know I'm going to say something that uh, could be a little bit uh, maybe controversial or a little bit like, whoa, but they get ready for it, okay? Jesus did not die on the cross praying Father, I hope this works. Okay. He didn't pray that way. He prayed, Father, it is finished. Amen? Triumphantly. Even at a moment when he looked like he was experiencing an ignominious death and defeat. He cried out triumphantly, it is finished. To Tetelestai. Mission is accomplished. Glory to God. And that's why we can never, ever lose the love of God because he did not die in vain. Thank you, Lord. So the death of Jesus was not in vain. And let me share another verse with you. It's so powerful. The promise of Jesus is also not in doubt. His death is not in vain. 
His promise is not in doubt. And because His promise is not in doubt, we can never lose His love. You see, verse 28, I give them eternal life, and the next few words says, they shall never perish. They shall never perish. He said, those that I have died for, because I didn't die in vain, when they know me and they know my grace and my love, they shall never. How long is never? It's forever. They shall never, ever perish. And Jesus uses language here that expresses in the strongest possible way, the strongest possible way, that those who have received the forgiveness and the love of God shall never, under any circumstances, ever, at any time, ever lose God's love and presence and forgiveness. Ever. And he's the expert. He is God and we are not, and that's exactly the way we want it. Glory to God. His promise is, you as a believer will never, ever, under any circumstances, ever be lost once you've been found by Jesus Christ. If we believe that a believer can lose his or her salvation, then we believe that someone Jesus gave eternal life to can perish forever. And if we believe that someone that Jesus gave eternal life to can perish forever, that means we believe that Jesus makes promises that he does not or cannot keep, and we know that is false. Amen? But his promise is not in doubt. I want you to stay in John, and we're going to come back. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. In the great exposition and articulation of the high priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which began on the cross with sacrifice. And though that aspect of the high priestly ministry is finished, it is finished on the cross, the high priestly ministry continues in the heavenlies, amen, because he ever lives as high priest to make intercession for us. And we read in chapter 10, verse 11, as they spoke about the earthly priesthood, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, the high priest, the Messiah Jesus, when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see that? Jesus said by one sacrifice, he has made perfect or mature forever those who he is making holy, who have been made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. He says... This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And he says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That's why we're loved forever. He will remember our sin and our lawless acts once he's forgiven us and forgotten. He'll remember them never again. 
Never. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Meaning, once we have embraced the one who forgives us perfectly and forever, there's never again another need for that sacrifice. It has been given. Amen? When the thief on the cross, having been convicted by the message of forgiveness, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. God brought him after three hours of blaspheming Christ to faith. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, this very day you shall be with me in paradise. That thief's salvation was not in danger. Three seconds after Jesus said that, three minutes or even three hours later when Jesus gave his spirit to God the Father. Jesus taught us you must be born again. Everyone must be born again, born from above, born by the grace of God, born by the Spirit. He didn't teach us you must be born again and again and again and again. Amen? One birth, one second birth, once and for all, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Philippians 1 verse 6 can say, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing as he writes to the Philippians And to those in Dubai and those in New York, he says, I'm confident of this very thing. What he uh, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It will be completed until the day of Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. 1 John 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. One more verse I want to look at before we go back for one more truth in John chapter 10. That's Ephesians chapter 1. We were in it a little bit earlier. It's an amazing passage of the grace of God. I, when I return to New York, Lord willing, will continue my series in Ephesians, my seventh message on the topic chosen by God. Seventh message on this little passage Let me show you chapter uh, 1, verse 3 in Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, as our brother shared earlier. And then verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You see it? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That's why those in eternity past He foreknew and predestined in time and space and history He called, He justified, and He glorified. And although glory is still future, it's given as a done deal. 
It's a done deal. Because His promise is not in doubt. They shall never perish. Never. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. By this unshakable love of God for us. Amen. Rejoice in that. And finally, let me close. Back to John 10 and we'll finish. Jesus' death was not in vain and Jesus' promise is not in doubt. And thirdly, the love of Je- the power of Jesus, the power of God is not in question. Look back at John 10 verse 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are. We're one, reflecting the Shema uh, in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Echad, is one God. Jesus claiming to be God. Notice the language. God's power is not in doubt. Jesus says there in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me. We always think of salvation as the gift that God has given to us. We think of salvation as the property that God has given to us. And when we only have that shallow understanding of salvation, we think, well, since that's our property, we can just give it back. We can throw it away. But salvation is much deeper than just the gift that God has given us, just the property of salvation. We are the gift, according to Jesus, that the Father has given to Jesus. You see the verse, 29? My Father who has what? Given them, the believers, to me. Salvation is not just a gift that God has given me. You and I are a gift that the Father has given to the Son. Salvation is much deeper than just, I said yes, now I'll say no. It's the sovereign purpose of God. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so we have a picture that because God, the Father, has given us as a gift to the Son, we are in the Father's hand. Amen? Isn't that interesting? My Father's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand, he says, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So literally, we're in the hand of Jesus and in the hand of God the Father. Now, Revelation says, as we praise Jesus in the book of Revelation, the saints cry out and say, you are worthy of all praise and honor, uh, the Lord, the Lamb, because you have purchased for God the Father men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation. As we think of Dubai, we think of, of uh, New York City. So we are seen to be in the Father's hand and in the hand of Jesus. We are a gift from Jesus to the Father and a gift from the Father to the Son. It's a two-fisted salvation. Amen? We're in Jesus' hand. We're in the Father's hand. The Father's given us to Jesus. Jesus has given us to the Father. And we thought salvation was just our property. No. We are God's property. Salvation doesn't belong to us. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, we'll never lose that love. 
When is God the Father going to take the gift back that he gave to the Son? When is the Son going to give the gift back that God the Father gave to him? Amen? And the answer is, never. Never. We are given to God. Salvation is not just given to us. We are given to God. And therefore, we are secure. Wow, what a wonderful truth. I need to wrap it up. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Jesus' death was not in vain. His promise is not in doubt. And His power to keep us is not in question. That's why in Hebrews 7.25 we read, Therefore He, God, is able to save to the uttermost, that is, completely and forever, those men and women who have come to Him Because He, Jesus, ever lives, forever lives to make intercession for us. Amen? Let me say it this way as I close. Jesus did not die on Good Friday so the whole world might get saved. Only to get lost again. Amen? Jesus died on Good Friday so the whole church would get saved. And the whole church would stay saved and loved and forgiven forever. There is no maybe or hope so or might be in Jesus' death in the gospel. There is only yes and no so and shall be in the gospel. Glory to God. He loves you forever. Amen. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And all God's grateful people said. Thank you Lord for this time in your word. This time of encouragement and love and grace. Thank you Father. May we all rejoice in this love and forgiveness. And rejoice in the fact that it's your gift to us. But you also own us. We belong to you. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. And therefore, your promise and your power and your love are never, ever in doubt. Even as we rest in that love, release us, Lord, with courage and faith to be instruments of your grace and mercy in the lives of others. Continue to bless this beautiful fellowship in this amazing, beautiful city with people you love so much. Show your glory, Lord. Give your joy, which is our strength. Make us more like Jesus Christ. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. It's a wonderful privilege to be here with you.